Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Season This World With Christ. Season this world, please, with Christ. Sermon number 10 in our series titled, Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview, where we look through His eyes, His lens. We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount together, and Jesus is there before His disciples, teaching them His commands. And we are taught and told by Him to go and baptize people and to teach them to observe all that He commanded. This is part of what He commanded His teachings. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 13 today. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on in our world, in our nation, huh? What a wild week. Wow, I lost a couple hairs. <laughs> You're like, I can't tell. I know me neither, but I think I did. My wife says I have a little more gray coming in, I'm sure. But man, um, not to make light of, but can I just talk about what's going on in my mind, in my heart? Maybe it'll resonate with you and uh, connect dots that you're probably thinking about too. What I was thinking is probably the sloppiest election in the history of the United States, in the history of America. Do you know that we are in the 21st century? We are in the future. And of course, 2020 would throw this at us as if this year isn't weird enough. We have high-powered computers in our pockets, but we can't seem to vote from them yet. We are planning on going to Mars. We have electric cars we have incredible inventions here on the planet, but we cannot still figure out who has voted. They can track our faces, our voices, and our location. You ever done that? You're like talking about in and out and then all of a sudden Google pops up an in and out ad and you're like, are you listening to Spotify or Pandora and the in and out commercial comes on? You're like, somebody listening? Yes. <laughs> They can track our faces, voices, and location, but they can't figure out who voted. This is bizarre. I say these things to get you thinking, please. How can we be in the 21st century and have all of these problems with an election? One of the craziest elections we knew it was going to be of all time, and we still have all of these problems. How did they not prepare for this? How did they not plan for this? Why aren't we finishing voting two or three weeks prior so that all the votes are collected by November 3rd and then they announce it. This is nuts. It is no coincidence that four or five major chaotic things have happened this year. The year of the election, the odd year of 2020, it feels like four or five 9-11s in one year. Literally, we got the pandemic, we got the whole world freaking out over this taking over our lives. Then we have racial tension all over the world breaking out. We have our economy going up and down, falling left and right. We're on the verge of a Great Depression, if you didn't know. Um, and then now we have these this political race, and we have 
all of this chaos and turmoil and all, think about all the debating that has happened over this last year, all of the friendships, all of the issues. Think about all the divide that has happened in the church even this year. More divide than probably any year, what, probably in the last hundred years, who knows? All of these major explosive things going on. And then, of course, this has to happen with the election. I literally thought, like, finally, let's just get the election going and then we can stop all the debating and we can stop all the arguing. And we got a brand new thing to talk about now and go back and forth on and what's happening. And this, it's like they want to keep us in a state. How can all of this happen in one year? And it's all just coincidence. I'm not dumb. I wasn't born yesterday. Um, man, you know, when when a couple things go right in a single day, I'm like, wow. I mean, that that's amazing for so many things to go wrong in one year, mass on a massive scale, on a worldwide scale. This is bizarre. There is no doubt a consistent theme in every event that has happened has carried on from event to event. What is that consistent theme? Fear. Fear. Constantly in the state of fear. I think the adrenaline rush and the fear of fight or flight state has almost remained in our blood for like, you know, eight months now. It's been non-stop. And something else is happening. I don't know what it is. I can't speak directly to it. I just wasn't born yesterday. I'm not dumb. It's like something weird is going on. What do we need to do? Regardless of what side you stand on, regardless of what you think about all these things, this, we need to listen to the scriptures once again, God's word. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, no, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit that he gave us. That's who we are to be. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And we have his perfect love in us. We trust him. We are in relationship with him. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man lays like a snare, like a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We need to remember who our God is and who our King is. And what our purpose is on this earth. Don't forget who you are and don't forget what you're called to do. I share all those things with you because I know a lot of the things I just talked about that's happening politically and happening on a worldwide scale. I know in the back of all of your heads, there are little things that I'm hitting on and you're thinking like, you've thought about these things. You know that there's fear and anxiety and stress going on. I'm trying to get you to understand that I'm thinking about them too. And I'm telling you where the answer is. We need to get back to God's word, get our minds and our hearts focused on what he has said. Remember who our God is. Remember who our king is and what our purpose is on this earth. 
Family, we may be heading into some very difficult waters as a church, as Christians, and as a nation. But we need not be afraid, for our Lord God will be with us through every single storm. God never promised no storms. Jesus actually said, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, he said. He promised he would be with us through every storm. Not that we wouldn't have any, but that he would be with us through them. The truth is, one of two things are about to happen in America. Number one, God is going to give America over to judgment long term because we, his people, have allowed so much sin and rebellion in this nation. He did it in the past with people and he can do it again. Where have we rebelled? In pride and arrogance, self-righteousness, and lukewarm hypocrisy. In abortion, 60 million babies since 1973, 47 years, 60 million babies. Sexual immorality, sexual immoral lifestyles and debauchery. In marriage and in family being destroyed in our nation. Pastors and leaders living in great sin. This is not a nation that reflects righteousness. So why shouldn't God judge all of this wickedness? Well, that's number two. That could potentially happen. God would be merciful and gracious to us instead of judging all of this wickedness now. For he is long-suffering towards us. He is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He is a good king. He is a good God. And he is far more patient than we think. He, I can't, I was just talking with one of the guys about it. I can't believe that God redeemed Nineveh. They would cut people's tongues out, chop their heads off, and make piles of God's people. They were wicked to the core, and God says, Jonah, go to them and preach repentance. And Jonah's like, I'm not going to them. You might save them. I'm not going to preach a message to them because they might get saved. And reluctantly, God forced the reluctant man, Jonah, to go to Nineveh. And there he is spit up by a whale onto the beach. And he has to go in there and nobody just starts screaming. You're all going to die in 40 days. God's going to crush you. He's going to burn this joint down. You're all dead. Sorry, you've all sinned. And I don't care what you think. I don't care if you kill me. You're all dead. Guess what happens? Repentance starts to happen in all of the people's hearts and it gets up to the king and God saves the nation of Nineveh. You know what Jonah does? He goes and sits under a tree and he gets ticked. He's like, I knew I should have never preached to them because I knew you were a gracious and merciful God and that you might save them. God is good and gracious and merciful and it could be that God would be gracious and merciful to us instead of judge us now. But how does it work? As we see our sin in our lives, my life, your life, not, oh, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look at what that group's doing. Why isn't that church doing that? Why aren't those people in our church doing this? Hold on. We have to deal with ourselves first as we see our sin, my sin in my life and repent of it and turn to him with all of my heart. He then, if he restores me, he could restore my neighbor. And if he restores my neighbor, he could potentially restore the city and the nation. 
everyone individually has to repent. We've got to stop telling everybody else to repent. We need to repent. I need to repent. And this is when God relents. We are on a path that is leading to restriction. I'm telling you, America is about to look very different in just 10 years if we don't repent and start standing against wickedness. Why are people scared to stand against wickedness? It's because they are comfortable. They don't want to lose favor with this society. God says, you want favor with them or you want favor with me? Edmund Burke, in a letter addressed to Thomas Mercer, he said this, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. If we as people just sit back and don't stand against wickedness when you see it, then wickedness and evil starts to triumph. It starts to prevail. It starts to take over. But how do we see good triumph? By simply standing up when we see evil. Standing up and saying, no, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. We're not letting that happen. Instead of being passive and just saying, well, I don't want to get involved in that. We got to stop this. You, you wonder, how are these our best choices in America? From really from, from city council all the way up to the presidency, how is this the best we have? You want to know why? It's because good men and women do nothing. If we would just do something and start standing up and start walking in righteousness and standing against evil and calling wickedness when we see it, Ministering the gospel in this city. When's the last time you preached the gospel to somebody? That is an indicator that you are not doing anything. When's the last time you saw evil and you did nothing about it? You just let it go. You're like, "Uh, I didn't see that. I'm going to keep going over here. If we don't do anything, it's just like weeds in a garden. If you don't pull them out, it just grows up and it takes over the garden. Naturally. Evil is on the earth, sin is on the earth. It's going to naturally grow up and take over your marriage, take over your family, take over your city, take over your nation if you don't do something. And we have got to start doing something. Jesus says today, you are the salt on this earth. And if if the salt loses its flavor, it's not useful anymore. You should just throw it out. And it, I sense that Christians have lost their flavor. We're just bland. We just sit back and I'm a Christian. We say it only other Christians. We're scared to say it to anybody else in the society. We need to break open the doors and the windows and start throwing salt and seasoning the earth with Christ. This is what I want to talk about today. A little salt goes a long ways. Just a pinch, that's all you need. You know what the problem is? No one is spreading salt. No pinch. Nothing. It doesn't take much to flavor up a meal. When you do it right, it is so tasty. How about a little fun in our intro since I've been very serious? Thank you, Pastor. I need some, I need to, I need to lighten up a little. Hold it, here we go. According to Saltworks USA or US.us, beside making food delicious, it's believed there are more than 14,000 uses for salt. Did you know that? 
And our grandmothers were probably familiar with most of them. Us today, wow, I didn't know salt could do 14,000 different things. Yeah, it does. It can help boil water. It helps in peeling eggs. It helps in testing even the freshness of an egg. It helps in cleaning greasy pans. It helps in improving coffee. Spring a little spritzel in there will spice up your coffee. I didn't know this. I might try this later. Cleaning tarnished silverware. It will rub away the tarnished silverware. Cleaning copper pans, preventing mold, keeping milk fresh. You can gargle it when you're sick. Reduces eye puffiness. It uh, relieves bee stings. Uh, it keeps patios weed-free. I didn't know this. I've got some weeds growing in my yard. I think I'm going to try this. Uh, it keeps cut flowers fresh. Throw a little salt in the water. Drip-proofing candles by putting salt around them. Soaking them in salt. Deodorizing shoes. Relieving fatigue. And it even deters ants. Just a few things that salt can do and little magical stuff, a natural substance that just sits on the earth. Jesus compares us to being the salt of the earth. We are working through the Beatitudes and we have arrived on the other side and we are being showed who we are to be and what I should say we must be. It is not okay for us to be flavorless salt or not sprinkling salt around the earth. We have got to get busy doing this. Let's look at our verse today. We're going to look very closely at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Take a look at your Bibles. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word, you can do so. We always stand for the reading of it to pay honor to our God and King and remember whose word we are reading. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would reveal your truth to us now. What good is a Christian if they don't live for you and speak for you on the earth? Are they to be thrown out and trampled under someone's feet? We being the salt of the earth, if it's lost its flavor, what good is it? We ask, Lord, please, That you would begin to use us for your glory like never before. I pray for an awakening now in our church, an awakening now in our nation, that Christians, true Christians, your people who have your Holy Spirit living in them, Holy Spirit, would you shout to them? Would you open their ears and their eyes, let them see their own wickedness and sin and repent of it and start living for you? Please, Father, be gracious to us. Be merciful to us as a nation. Please help us not to go down a path of wickedness these next 10 years. We pray that we would start running towards righteousness. Restore our nation. Create in us a new heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. We ask that you would reveal these things to us again through your text as we study today, as we listen to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You are the salt of the earth. The word salt is mentioned only four times in the New Testament, three times in the Gospels, and once in Colossians. Webster describes salt as a white substance that gives seawater its characteristic taste and is useful for seasoning or preserving foods. Sodium chloride, table salt. The potatoes need salt. A little more salt, please. Salt is processed from salt mines or by the evaporation of seawater. Sea salt, some of you love. Some of you like that pink salt, that pink Himalayan salt, huh? Or mineral-rich spring water in shallow pools, in pools pulling from the mineral-rich spring water. In Jesus' day, salt was used for three basic reasons. Number one, to preserve meat. They didn't have refrigerators. Number two was to enhance the flavor of food. And number three was to destroy vegetation on the roads. Matthew 5.13, again, you are the salt of the earth, but if it's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. Pure salt cannot lose its effective, its effectiveness, its saltiness. But salt that is common in the Dead Sea area which borders Israel and Jordan is contaminated with gypsum and other minerals and may have had a flat taste or an ineffective way of preserving meat. These salts were only used to be thrown on the road to keep vegetation off of them. So there was a salt in Jesus' time that was not pure and it was not effective. And in the minds of the listeners, they say, oh, we know what he's talking about. It's lost its flavor. That's the stuff we throw on vegetation. But the other kind of salt, the purest form of salt, the salt that preserves our food, gives us life, and also adds flavor to our meals, this we know is good salt. The other stuff just destroys. We just use it to kill stuff. Pure salt is always effective. Diluted salt is worthless. We'll talk about this a little later. But first, why are we the salt of the earth? Does the earth need salt? Point number one, if you're taking notes, the decaying earth. The decaying earth. The world is clearly decaying, like a piece of meat sitting out in the open air in the sun. It's growing bacteria and mold and decaying, and the, the flies start to show up. Breaking down, it starts to smell and go bad. The world is decaying around us. We can feel it. Something weird going on. These are prosperous times. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, John says, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, praise God. The world is passing away. It is decaying. It's on its way dead. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 Corinthians 7.31 says, Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know, it will soon pass away. Do you hear that again? We're not to become attached to the things of the world because it's passing away. 
And if our emotion and our lives are attached to this world, when it falls, when it goes down, our lives will fall as well. We are to be attached to Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The world All of the world is going down a path and we are not to go with it. We are to go the opposite direction like salmon swimming upstream against the current. We are going the opposite direction. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. The world is decaying. The earth and all that is in it is infected with sin. This is why you see the world plagued with hatred, disease, pride, selfishness, and war. We need not get our focus and our desire so wrapped up in the world and the things going on in it. Trust me, I am fully up to date on what's going on politically I am up to date on all the conspiracy. I am up to date on what is happening in Los Angeles and in California. But I choose to disconnect from that and to reconnect to God often. Because I'm telling you, you better be careful not to get trapped in that rabbit hole. You start going down the rabbit hole of the world and you allow your mind to be consumed with so much of the trash of this world And then it will mess with your emotions and desires and you'll start to live out that ugliness, depression, sadness, anxiety, and stress in your marriage, in your family, with your friends. And then you can't even enjoy a day when if you actually just step away from it and you choose to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to worship God today. And you get in his word and you put on some worship music and you listen to a sermon or You take in some time with him. You spend time in prayer seeking him and talking to him. And wow, your spirit is revived. Even though there's all this stuff going on in the world, you're just not listening to it. You're not watching it. You're like, you know what? Here I am in perfect peace with you, oh God. And I can do this. And I love this. And then you go on your way loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your friends, and enjoying the day before you. We've got to figure this out. The world is no doubt decaying around us. But Christ is still living in us and renewing us. Point number two, if you're taking notes, preserving the decaying earth. We need to preserve this place. Jesus calls us the salt of this decaying earth. Interesting. We are the only thing preserving this place. If you take the salt off the earth, the whole piece of meat will go bad. The whole thing would go bad quickly. If you take the Christians off the earth, just remove all the Spirit of God. Remove all the Christians trying to love and serve in humility and and walk in righteousness and build good marriages and healthy families. You just remove all that from society and just let sin run rampant. 
everything decays very, very quickly. We are not the meat of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. There's a stark difference. We are completely opposite of the world. We have nothing in common with the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The Christian is not only to be different, they are to glory in that difference. He is to be different as the Lord Jesus was different. Everybody could see that Jesus was different from the rest of the world. And if, family, if people can't tell the difference between you and the world around them, you're not living for Christ. You're not following in Jesus' footsteps. They should be able to clearly see there's something different about you. And how we need to be an example of Christ in this day more than ever. It shouldn't take long for somebody to discover that you're a Christian. It really shouldn't. It shouldn't be, we're not to be the secret service Christians, the CIA Christians, the hidden. Remember the preacher? You know the joke. The preacher who, you know, he said, this guy comes in and he says, son, I, I, haven't seen you at church in a while. Where have you been? You're, aren't you part of the army of the Lord? Where have you been? I thought, you know, I saw you for a while there. I don't see you at church at all anymore. You know, where have you been? Are you still part of the army of the Lord? And he says, yes, sir, I, I'm still part of the army of the Lord. I'm just part of the secret service. Living incognito amongst the civilization, not being salt of the earth with no flavor, not being the light of the world shining brightly in this darkness, just kind of being secretive in our Christianity. That is not what Christ has called us to do. How do I know? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in your immediate city, in Judea, right outside your city, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? They testify the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they speak God's truth into society. When is the last time you were the witness for Christ? Once again, this is the salt on the earth. This is the preservation of the earth. And I'm telling you that we have not been throwing salt out. We have not been seasoning America. (laughs) The piece of meat is going bad, we can see. We have purpose that we are to be accomplishing here in life each and every day. We are to be in the world, but not of it. Can I say that again? We are to be in this world, but not of it. John 17, 15, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world as he is praying to the Father, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He sends us out as sheep amongst wolves. We are in the world, but not of the world. Inserting a true Christian into any environment brings holiness and will bring change. Placing salt all over a piece of meat will preserve it. No doubt. It will preserve it. This is a fact. Placing a true Christian in any environment will change that environment. If the environment is not changed that you're in, it's because you're not living for Christ. 
And this is what I've been thinking about this last week. It's like, how have we gotten to such a place in our society where America no longer is reflecting the attributes of God and the worldview of Jesus Christ when we have so many amazing churches and so much good preaching in America? Now, obviously, we have a lot of lukewarm churches and we have a lot of terrible teaching in America as well, but it's not like we have one church in town and we're stuck there at that church and uh, there are no other options. If the preaching and the teaching is bad, well, that's all we get. That's, yeah, rewind 100 years ago. That's exactly. Now we've got podcasts and we got sermons online. We got books everywhere. We got. And we can listen to sermons non-stop. We get access to good preaching everywhere. So why isn't revival breaking out? I'll tell you. It's because Christians aren't living out what they're hearing. Be not only hearers of the word, but doers. What does it look like to be a doer? To throw yourself, it is to throw yourself upon the Lord Jesus every single day, totally dependent on Him, to sustain you and carry you and help you to live righteously for Him today. That is what it looks like. It's not pulling up your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments today. No, you're not. You need Jesus to help you do that. doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Christ, walking with God. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And what I sense is even the mature believers who know and understand the Word of God throughout the nation have become complacent And they're choosing not to walk in obedience. They know what obedience looks like, but it is not fully happening in their own life and the way they live and the way they season the earth and the way they preserve the earth. If salt loses its saltiness or effectiveness, guess what? Everything, they become non-effective. They are not effective in the earth. It's not effective in preserving the meat anymore. Romans 12, 2. Are you ready? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Church, there is nothing special that needs to happen in this city except Christians living out our Christianity. Please, please just pull the salt out season the world around you with Christ. But I'm scared what they're going to say. I'm scared what they're going to think. Then the world will never be seasoned with Christ. The city will never be seasoned with Christ. If you are scared to do it, it will not happen. And fear cripples people. The apostles were so bold. They're like, forget this, man. We actually are citizens of another country anyways. So, you know, I know I got a passport here in America. My real citizenship's in heaven. Um, This place is not my home. And so it's all right. I'm a foreigner here. And uh, I'm called on mission by God to do these things. I'm telling you, if you choose not to do these things and are waiting for someone else to do it, it may never happen. And that's how we have arrived at this place today. We need obedience and devotion to the Lord, falling on Him daily in full dependence. The question I have is, do Christians in L.A. 
not know what it means to be a Christian? Or do they know and they choose not to be obedient to the Lord? What is it? What is going on in this city? I'm shocked by California, to be honest. Absolutely. Colorado? Colorado just voted. I I may be wrong on this, but if I read it right, they just voted to preserve baby wolves and to abort and late-term abortion. What? I remember reading the statistic, if you touch the egg of a bald eagle, the American bird, you'll be fined $25,000 and potentially be put in prison. If you touch the egg of an egg, a bald eagle. But we can abort late-term abortion because we voted on it and it's all good in Colorado. This is wild. Where are we headed? Of course, it touches home with me. I have a baby boy who will be here in like two weeks. They could literally kill him. It's not really a baby. Are you sure? I felt his foot kick right through my wife's stomach. Well, I don't know if there's really a baby in there. Are you sure? I'm sure he's going to have a name in just a couple weeks. I'm sure he's going to be breathing, and I'm sure he's going to be walking around in a year. Personality and everything right there. It's wild to see what we are capable of when good people do nothing. Well, I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. No, I want to keep my business running. I'm not going to speak up about that. No, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to hurt their feelings, this and that. I'm telling you, you just keep doing that stuff and the weeds are going to keep growing. And before you know it, we're going to wake up one day and your rights are going to be taken away. Yep. Yep. You're going to be the one targeted. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you bigot. You're, I'm sorry. We, we do not have tolerance for you here. Um, you stand with Jesus and that Bible stuff? No, no, I'm sorry. We, we do not tolerate you in this society. I'm sorry. You got to leave. Wait, what? I was born and raised here in this country. Why do I have to leave? It is happening right now. If you can't see this, you're blind. We have to wake up to these things or like rust, it is going to corrode and eat away everything and there will be nothing left. Point number three, flavoring the earth. Salt also has the responsibility to bring flavor. Not only preserve the decaying earth, but to bring flavor. You see, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. A little salt goes a long ways, huh? We can flavor an atmosphere greatly very quickly. How do we know? Well, you know, it's when you've taken the salt shaker and you accidentally put too much on or the cap wasn't all the way on. It just dumps everywhere. You're like, oh, wow. Or, um, you know, you've just, you just sprinkled a bit too much. You, you, you were talking with somebody and you only wanted to sprinkle for like four or five seconds and you sprinkled for 10. There's only an extra hundred more grains of salt on your rice, uh, little bits of sand, but it tastes terrible now. It flavors so quickly. It takes over. A little salt goes a long ways. And life without Jesus is just flavorless. Honestly, look at the world. 
People find life boring and dull. That's why they need to fill life with all kinds of substances. Life is so boring and dull, and so we need drugs and alcohol and all kinds of extreme pursuits and sexual experiences and all these other things because it's just not, it's not fun. Entertainment parties, now many of the things are not wicked in and of themselves anymore. It's okay to enjoy entertainment and Red Bulls and coffee, whatever. But if life can only be sustained by these things like drugs and alcohol and sports and parties and whatever hobby or thing you pursue, if you were to take it away, how would life be for you? We need to not find our joy in these things. We need to find them in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the difference between a Christian and the world. The Christian should bring flavor and life to the world without needing anything extra. How do we do that? Again, we must fully throw ourselves upon Christ and depend on Him. Walk in relationship with the God who made you. Then, enjoy the earth around you. Enjoy the sunset. Enjoy the breeze. Look at the trees differently. We don't need all these extra external experiences just to have a happy moment in life. That's sad. I was listening to um, Screwtape Letters a couple weeks ago, and C.S. Lewis was writing and talking about um, through uh, this this dialogue between um, the the head demon there and one of his little uh, demons running around and antagonizing Christians, and he lets him in on something. He says, this is what I'll let, let you in on. You see... He calls God the enemy. He says, you know, the great enemy has uh, has basically set people up and built them to actually enjoy the mundane and the ordinary, but they just can't see it anymore. And this is what we need to use against them. Let's make it so they don't enjoy seven days a week. Let's make it so they don't enjoy seasons. Let's make it so they're so distracted by the sunrise and the sunset Let's make it so that they don't even realize how amazing the very mundane everyday things are, like a morning, an afternoon, and an evening. Let's help them forget about the stars and the sun and the moon. Let's help them forget about the beautiful falling of the leaves and fall and the, and the beautiful sun of the summer and, and the snow of the winter. Let's, let's get them away from all those things. Let's get them distracted on all these hyped other things. Let's make these other really exciting experiences so when they go back to the mundane, they feel completely empty. Again, C.S. Lewis writing on how the enemy tricks us. I can't believe it sometimes. We are so overstimulated. We want more and more and more and more and more. And Christ isn't enough. And a family in seven days and a morning and an afternoon and a sunset going to bed and waking up and loving and enjoying the people around you. We need something else. And that is scary. Because when we become dependent on that, guess what happens? You get sucked fully into that thing. And sadly, it leads to more sin. And we know sin leads to destruction. I've never seen anybody whacked out on drugs so deep. The more they take, the happier they get. I don't see that. The more sex, the happier they get. I don't see that. Nope. The opposite happens. The more alcohol, the happier they get. Maybe for a moment, but then destruction comes. We need not to find our joy in these things. We need to find them in Christ. And that's the difference between the Christian and the world. The Christian should bring flavor and life to the world without needing anything extra.
Just for the sake of illustration, too much salt on food is also just terrible. It's not here in the text, but can I just stretch the illustration just a little bit more? Is that okay? To be overbearing as a Christian can be annoying and just not good. It's like, I'm going to salt everything. I'm going to salt everything. <laughs> yes, it's just way too much salt. Way too much salt. Me, can you have too much of Christ? No. But it's that Christian who, it's really, it's the annoying Christian. Who? It's the one who has, yes, made it so much about the Jesus t-shirt and the Jesus bumper sticker and the Jesus everything. And they've forgotten to live for Jesus. They're annoying. They're a jerk. They're offensive. Not even for gospel's sake, just for being offensive. You got a bad attitude, you know? And that is not helpful. It's not the true salt of Christ. It doesn't bring flavor and truth and righteousness. Instead, it it's like, no, thanks, man. That that doesn't taste good. I don't know what what that if I gotta if I gotta put bumper stickers all over my car to be a Christian, no thanks. If I got to do this to be a Christian, no thanks. Christ isn't requiring any of those things. He wants to bring life to people. We're selling a different Christianity. Nobody likes to have salt rubbed into their wounds either, even if it's the salt of the earth. Again, a, a play on words there. The true salt of the earth, the true salt that is needed, the Lord Jesus Christ, should be rubbed into wounds. But that fake, weird Christianity that's being sold on the planet, nobody likes that rubbed into their wounds. It's not a balm that heals. It's painful. And it's sad. Christians should bring life to people. And life to this earth. J.C. Ryle says, We are not so to live as if we have nothing but a body. Not just a piece of meat. We have the Spirit of God living in us. John 10.10, Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life in that abundantly. That should show through the way that we live. We have been resurrected. We have been redeemed. We are to be built and lifted in such a way that it impacts the people around us. And after all, if we truly have the Spirit of God in us, we have been. So what does it mean to be flavorful? Number one, walk in obedience with God first. This changes our environment. Number two, allow the fruits of the Spirit to be on display in your life. Let it overflow from your cup. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, kindness, and gentleness. And number three, enjoy life. Enjoy moments. Enjoy people. Push out the ideas and the debates and the crazy of the world and allow Christ to overwhelm your life. Then digest what's going on in the world. Christ first, then we take in bits and pieces of the world. Do not let the world overtake the mind and the heart first, and then we have to bring in Christ to do all the repairs on our heart. It's backwards. Life can only be enjoyed as one acquires a true perspective of life and death. The real purpose of living. Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Four mentions of the word salt in the New Testament, three in the Gospels, one in Colossians, Colossians 4, 6. Let me say it again. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love it. 
Point number four in closing, Jesus is the master chef. A little salt goes a long ways. Jesus is the master chef, and we need to season this world with Christ. He is placing us on the meat to preserve it. He is using us to flavor the meals of this earth. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, he is the one seated on the throne, orchestrating, working. He has a plan in us using us to do a work on the planet. That's what we're called to do. He's preparing the salt for the meal right now. That's us. And the salt needs to go out into the earth and do its work. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus was the ultimate salt, which has saved our decaying flesh. He is the salt which has flavored our souls. Praise God. Amen. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Romans 5.7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Acts 3.19, repent then. Turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. I so badly want the church to gain back its flavor. Real, pure salt. Not the stuff that you just throw off on the dirt to kill weeds. It's part of it. I'm talking about salt that preserves life, preserves meat, and flavors meals. You are the salt of the earth, and you are not to be losing your saltiness. We need so badly for Christians to wake up in this nation. You're like, yeah, we need Christians to wake up. Then who needs to wake up first? It's you. It's me. In the quietness of our own hearts, in the quietness of our own minds, we know where we are in rebellion against God. God knows we've got to stop playing around here. If we are truly walking with God, we will stand for righteousness and we will preserve the earth. We will bring flavor to this city. I would love to see Los Angeles flipped upside down for righteousness in the next 20, 30 years. Why? Because there's a group of Christians who are dead serious about their walks with God and they just bring flavor everywhere they go. And people can't get away from it because they bring life. So much death and sin around us and rebellion. Oh, that we would bring life and that we would preach and that we would live so that lives can be changed. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to do that in our hearts first and then in the lives of people around us. Father, please, we ask that you would be gracious to us. How can there be so many churches in L.A. and so many people just living in rebellion against you? How can there be so many people professing to be Christians yet living like the world? Please, Father, I ask that you would do this work in me first. 
Please that you would do this work in legacy first. No more messing around in our walks with you. That we would not lose our flavor. That we would not lose our ability to preserve. That we would not be passive Christians sitting back, not doing anything to the decaying world around us. Lord, I pray that you would cause repentance to happen in each of our hearts right now, that we would repent of that sin, we would repent of those ways, that we would turn away from them and we would turn to you with all of our hearts. Lord, we have sinned against you and you alone. We ask for, please, favor in this nation. Please let us keep preaching the gospel. Please let us see more people come to know you. Please, we pray for righteousness over the next 10 years, not more wickedness and evil. We love you, King. We lay our lives and all of the future at your feet again, and we trust you. Preserve us. Keep us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining to worship with us today. Legacy, and I, um, you know, I love to goof off and have fun. Um, but man, I... I'm, I'm dead serious about these things. I don't think that we realize what is on the horizon if we do not start living for righteousness and walking with the Lord now and infusing the gospel into this culture. I'm telling you, we are on a trajectory that is not looking like a godly nation at all. Again, just give it another 10 years and we will see some very crazy things happen. And I think about my kids and I think about the future and I want to be in a nation where we can still worship and have church and that I won't be arrested for just preaching a sermon like this. I want to be able to keep our religious freedoms. I want to be able to keep living for Christ here in this nation, in this city. And that's why I'm so fervent in encouraging you and demanding that the church start living for Christ. We have an exciting week ahead of us to be able to get back together and to worship. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm Please, please show up on Sunday. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like for you to show up and be safe um, and social distancing and all of the rest, please show up, come and worship. Let's get serious about our walks with God. Let's come with arms lifted high. Let's come with hearts ready to receive and encourage one another. Let's come with minds ready to focus on Christ alone and to watch him start to change our lives and then the lives around us. Legacy, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May he be gracious and patient with us. Please, in Jesus' name, walk with him closely this week. Let God bless us and give us favor and let it change the city around us. I'll see you on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.